What up, guys and girls? It's Bobby. Sean. Coming at you live, but separate still from Jersey and the Big Apple, respectively. Still the tri-state area. I don't know how many more times we have to educate individuals what the tri-state area is, but this is the official tri-state area. The only tri-state area yeah. in the entire country. Yeah, so if you're up in New England and you're thinking Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island count, uh, no. Sorry. Just because you have Tom Brady doesn't mean that we have to give you every other title in the country, too. Well, that might not be for much longer, but we shall see. Oh, uh, but they do have Matt Fraser, so... No, Matt Fraser's down in Tennessee. Yeah, well, he splits up between Tennessee and uh, Vermont. But I think his home of residence is in Tennessee for his tax purposes, which is obviously smarter. I have no idea what the... Oh, well... Bernie's from Vermont, so I imagine the taxes aren't too great there if you're winning lots of monies. No, I doubt it. But uh, speaking of taxes, I put in an offer on a new place last night. That is awesome. I saw the photos. It's still the same place, right? Uh, I believe it's a different place. I don't know if I sent you this one, but this one's a... It's a four-bed, two-bath, 1900 square foot... Uh, and then it has this like barn garage, fucking dope. Oh, not uh, wait. Sold. I mean, buy. I'll take it. I want it. Yeah, what it's a, like a two car garage, but it's like not for cars. To a garage. Not going to be for cars. No, 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 definitely not for cars. But it's like a two car detached garage from the house, and then the um, garage. It's like a t- it's like a tall barn, so it's probably like a twenty foot high ceiling. It's gonna be sick. It's two car garage, like detached. I think it's like, I want to say it's insulated, which would be awesome. But uh, I can't wait, dude. That's sick to have like an outdoor garage or a detached barn garage where you could just blast the music, lift the weights. It really would go well too with Paragon Recovery, uh, who happens to sponsor this podcast. I've uh, been using their products now for almost a year. The entire time that you guys have been listening to this. Awesome stream of episodes we've been able to provide uh, have been because of the resources of Paragon Recovery. So it's great for recovery. Uh, Bobby's used it. I've used it. If you go to their website and use the code Cronish, you'll get great discounts uh, because they're really big into communities like the military, firefighters, uh, police forces. Uh, It's a great way to activate your sleep cycles and, and wake up refreshed. So now that we can get back to Bobby's garage, how would you deck it out? So... Uh, I I think I'm gonna use the uh, the Rogue Gym Builder. They have like this like Gym Builder app thing on their website that lets you like get put in the measurements and then like outfit your gym based on like what you see or like what you want. Cause I already have the uh, skier and Echo Bike, so I have two pieces of cardio equipment. I think I want to get a rower and then maybe get the C2 Bike Erg, but I haven't decided if I want that or yet. But definitely want to get a rower. Um, and the biker is kind of uh, kind of extra if we have money for it. I might get the biker. And then I'll get like pl- a couple bars, plates, rack. And then because it's so tall, I might put up some like ropes and like rings too because the, uh, the barn's so tall. That's awesome. So it could be like a pretty legitimate like garage gym that has like everything. Because usually with garage gyms, you miss like the um, the rope climbs or like the, the rings because usually like, garage gyms are kind of low. 
But with this one, because it's so high, I think I can put up like an actual like climbing rope and like some rings and some all, all sorts of other stuff. Well, that's always like the first thing too, and I'm glad you went there because we get asked these questions a lot, especially with individuals that are getting ready to go to ranger school or selections or RASP, you know, and focused on cardio. And so I'm glad that in the the intro to this developing story in the garage gym, he focused on cardio, Bobby. I mean, that's just like cardio's king. Oh, yeah. I've been doing I've been doing a lot of cardio lately. Like uh I've actually feel a lot better when I do a lot more aerobic low intensity workouts. Like yesterday I sat on the echo bike for ninety minutes and did a ninety minute echo bike ride. It got to like nine hundred and twenty calories. Um but like the week before I did an hour ride and I've been doing a lot of like thirty to sixty minute AMRAP style workouts, like circuits. But like not very high intensity where I just like I'm just like moving and like breathing but not like Straining, if that makes sense. No, yeah, i i've I've been moving that direction too. Uh, yesterday, we both did our ninety minute challenge. I wanted to get four hundred floors on the stairmaster, and that was uh, awful. Um, so, for those of you that are following the V Five program, congratulations on what your next Saturday's workout plan is. Um, it's very much like the hour long that you did, but 30 minutes more. And so mm-hmm. you're going to hit a wall because I didn't think it was going to be that much more challenging. And 10 minutes past the hour mark, I just wanted to break the machine in two. But I really like this idea of like spending a Saturday, whether you're, you know, like you're going hiking for a couple hours, yeah. Uh, whether you are doing something low intensity, but for a long duration, really just work on that breathing you know, you can see where your heart rate is at different parts of it. Uh, how well are you hydrating? Because it's not just like a thirty-minute gasser that you can leave afterwards. And mm-hmm. you know, you're gonna take it. It's gonna impact you longer during the day. Oh yeah, for sure. And then uh, I just like subjectively speaking, my body feels like a lot better because I've worked out every day now for the last like two weeks by doing something every day. I definitely think like doing like the uh, the low intensity aerobic stuff has like my body just feels better. Like I uh, am not as stiff. I don't have as many like you know like uh, not as sore, not as like painful walking around and stuff. I think it's I, I'm a huge fan of it now. It just I I really think that like you can it, mentally too. It's a good check on the week because it provides you enough time to address any issues that you had to deal with or any of those that are coming up in the next, you know, couple weeks or months that, you know, maybe you didn't think you had enough time to, to address. And now you're just by yourself with your thoughts. You like to listen to podcasts. I like to listen to music. What, what's your thought on listening to a podcast during low intensity workouts like that? So I personally, uh, I'm a big fan of like podcasts and audiobooks. I try to like learn something or like have something that's like somewhat mentally stimulating when I'm doing like low intensity aerobic or just in general like when I work out at home because I'm doing a lot of like aerobic stuff at home. I definitely like to have like a podcast or an audiobook on just so I have like some mental, you know, get some like some mental gains out of it in addition to physical gains. Um, so I typically like to listen to like some interesting people, uh, typically on Joe Rogan podcast or uh, some audiobooks that I have. Just listening to Joe Rogan go, now, gorillas have never gotten into bodybuilding and they haven't tapped into their muscular potential. Can you imagine if a gorilla got into bodybuilding? I like the, uh, you know, 
I just enjoy a lot of his guests. I like when he talks to, you know, talks about fighters, talks about fighting. Um, I, I, he was like on the ground floor of the UFC, which just blows my mind. He goes from like the stand-up career to Fear Factor. And now all of a sudden, like he is almost like that subject matter expert when it comes to what's going on and the extreme world of cage fighting. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So back, back to the gym. I, when you visited me a couple times in Colorado, I loved having the rower. I didn't use that quite as often as I thought I would. I used my like assault bike almost every day. And then Mm -hmm. I did not purchase another cardio piece because I lived on that hill. So it was just too easy to to get into, but I really want a runner and I would love to also get that concept to bike. But I, I don't know. I feel like if you already have an assault bike or an echo bike, getting the concept two bike would just seem like superfluous. Yeah, that's what I thought too. But um, I think it's a little bit different mechanics when you use the, the bike Eric versus like the echo bike because you're not, you know, the arm thing and then just the way the body position is. I feel like the C2 biker would be a little more comfortable. But at the same time, though, like, uh, it's just a spin bike with this concept too, like it's loud PM, yeah, monitor on it. So like, I guess you could also just get like a spin bike and get a peloton. You know, use that. Yeah, I well, not like a peloton, but you know, but like a just a spin bike. You don't want some like chick with a smoker's voice to be telling you you didn't wake up this morning to be mediocre, peloton. <laughs> Although. Let's go, like Peloton. Peloton. Put put some equity in the sweat bank. I mean, I think there's there's something to be said about like the uh, that model of like of like per, like interpersonal whatever and like working on your home. I'm sure people love that stuff. Yeah, for sixty dollars a month, you too can get yelled at by somebody wearing very bright colors and saying random names in their pre-recorded studio. I'm not a fan of Peloton. I think it it like it rips people off. No, I'm not like a huge fan of it, but I think they have like a good business strategy and are smart about their business strategy. The one I don't like is like that the mirror. Have you seen the mirror app, the mirror thing? It's about all over New York City. So for those of you that have ridden this subway in the last year in the city, like they've got these ads up everywhere and it's essentially only in trains that are like running down in the financial district in lower Manhattan. But it's like pictures of the most basic individuals that have zero musculature, like packed on their frame. Like I'm no ass, nobody in any one of the advertisements, man or female has like any sort of ass. They don't squat and it's just them standing in front of the mirror wearing all this Lululemon stuff or like these three quarter length uh, like tights as if that like some, makes them look more athletic and they're like doing some weird like lateral lunge, you know, looking at a very hazy version of themselves and then a trainer in front of them in some weird, again, like green studio uh, where you expect to see like the Avengers being filmed in the background. <laughs> yeah it's definitely a little, definitely some marketing but i can see the you know i think that's where training is going to move to in the next probably 10 to 10 5 10 years it's going to be like 
a lot more home style stuff where people can work at home with like a trainer, like remotely, a remote trainer, like record classes, just so the people are you know aren't going to the gym and, and can do it at home. I think that's where fitness is going to be going in the next five ten years. And I think that's cool that people are not going to be taken advantage of by gyms that are charging too much for classes. I think if you're purchasing into a a gym. There should only be one fee to use the gym, and then if you want to go to the classes that they provide, it shouldn't cost anymore. Uh, in Colorado, the Vasa gyms that they built were like that, where it's like twenty what? Vasa gyms, the 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 gym brand that uh, like Dan and a couple other buddies uh, were were into. It was great because it had a ton of cardio machines, some functional fitness areas, traditional lifting apparatuses, apparati. Um, but then if you wanted to get involved and like do any of their classes that they ran, you literally just walked in and signed up. Hmm, it wasn't like, oh, you have to pay $20 a class. And then everything here in New York is like the exact opposite. It's like for $68 a month, you get to use our gym facility. Uh, an extra 10 allows you to use the water feature of the three water fountains. Uh, an extra $65 allows you to use the larger stalls in the bathroom. And for $50, you get to use the scale to figure out if you've gained any weight or lost any weight. <laughs> Sounds like a, a solid business plan. It's a racket. But you know what? It wouldn't exist if people didn't pay for it. No, it's exactly right. And people pay so much money. I mean, like when Dan and I were tr- trying to figure out where are we going to lift in the city, fortunately, you saw the gym that we've got. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a runner that literally nobody uses uh, except uh, Dan and I. It's got basic barbells, but none of the barbells are 45 pounds. Like they're either 38 pounds or I think 53 pounds is the other. Yeah bar which is weird and you know they, they don't have bumpers they have these this plastic crap but if we were looking at going to like i think crossfit 212 crossfit union square there's a couple more in the city I and mean, they were like 250 bucks a month and it oh, was no. an open gym you had to go and do the programming the classes that, yeah that they they provide it's like well no like i've got to test out cronus fit hello i'm only in your facility for that one reason Oh, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, that's just because the rent here is just outrageous. I was talking to a buddy last night. How much do you think a one-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath, 850-square-foot apartment would be? One-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath? One-bedroom. in the city? In the city, 850 square feet. Where in the city? Uh, Let's... Let's say, like Upper West, Upper East Side, so around Central Park. For those of you that are that are wondering what this Ooh. cool New York tri-state area lingo is, Ooh, by Central Park, Upper West Side, I would say per month the rent. No, oh, well, yeah, I'll tell you what it is to rent, but for I'm saying to purchase if you, if you're trying to oh, invest to in a property, I would say like five hundred thousand. Get out of town, Bobby. Is that too much? Way too little. Try it. One point oh, two million. Little. One point two million. One point two million. Oh my god. Yeah. If you wanted to purchase like a two bedroom place with like one and a half bath, 
down in FIDI, which is the financial district. Now we're getting like closer to where the World Trade Centers were and the Freedom Tower. How much do you think there? Probably like 800,000, 9,000. Is FIDI more than Upper West Side? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like Chelsea area, like 2 million plus. <laughs> and it's nuts. I don't know who who can afford to get that. I mean, in most of the jobs in the city, if you go and work in a, a business sense, you're going to be making, <clears throat> and it sounds really great, like maybe 150 to 200K a year. But you can't save up enough money to put a down payment on any one of these homes. Your rent now for a, let's say, a two-bedroom, one bath, and like 750, 800 square feet is going to be around $4,000 if you're living in the city. If you want like a nicer one-bedroom, one-bath closer to the Upper East, Upper West Side, where I'm at school now, you're paying four grand to five grand. If you've got pets, that number goes up. So all of a sudden now you, you think like, oh, I'm making a good amount of money at a hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Well, sixty thousand of that is going to your uh, building fees, your rent, and then New York City has a higher tax just for living in the city, and then so you're losing another forty k on taxes. So the next thing you know, you know you're you're now down to less than a third of that income and then the food here is more expensive so it's like nobody is putting away any significant amount of this money because the cost of living in the city is astronomical it's i've never seen something just so cattywankas i mean like you go out to colorado for 1.2 million you can buy a house in breck on the slopes which is like way more preferable yeah it's the city and people love it here they're like that's what i want to do i'm like i get me the fuck out of this city like i want to move up go to like Seattle, San Francisco, like not much better with the the housing market, but at least you're not like limited to just uh, apartments because you're not isolated on this giant uh, island of Manhattan. Oh yeah, for sure. So like even like, but like even in like Tacoma, like the houses are pretty expensive. I think like property value has gone up like 50% in the last five years. Like we were looking at the, the house that we offered on, and the owners had it for three years. They bought it for two seventy, and they're selling it for three seventy. So making a hundred thousand dollars on this house after three years of it. So hopefully that you know that trend stays and lasts for us. Yeah, I I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, they're still projecting you know a, a potential recession here, which would hopefully you know help uh, home prices like stabilize a, a little bit. But then you know the just like the housing market crawled back last time, it'll just shoot up again. So you'll have some great value in the homes. Um, the place that I had out in Colorado, the owners originally bought for, I want to say, two thirty. Um, yeah, and within I think ten years of them owning it, uh, it went up by almost double. Um, so it's just. It's unreal. You get, you get, and you get places too that, for instance, in Colorado Springs, if you lived on the west side of Highway 25, so closer to the Front Range, they can't expand any more of their development up onto the mountains. They can't encroach on that. It's just, it's, it's impractical. So the homes there are retaining their value and it's going up because 
people want to live close to this like mountain style view and that where I was living, that was exactly, I mean, you, we walked out of my backyard and we walked straight up to Blodgett Peak. Um, if you live on the east side of 25, I mean, you literally have nothing but planes going all the way to Kansas. So you can just expand all you want there. The houses are still expensive because it's Colorado Springs and it's like mm-hmm. the number two place to live in the country now. But your home isn't going to be as uh, valued because it can just pop another like you know place up just yeah, on the other side. But this is getting away from garage gyms. So we've talked the the Echo Bike uh, Runner. What do you think are some crucial strength pieces to have, and what do you want for accessory work for your home gym? So definitely having the rack and the barbell. <laughs> It's going to be a huge thing. We might get a bench, get some boxes for like box jumps and stuff like that. You know, wall balls. We've got some kettlebells. We're going to get some dumbbells. Um, for dumbbells, we're like 35, 50s, 70s, and 90s. Uh, the workup, that would be like my ideal set of dumbbells I have. Um, I have like sandbags already, so I'll keep the sandbags I do have. Um, and then the big thing I'm just beginning, like the rack and like uh, rings and ropes uh, for accessory work accessory stuff um i think that's mostly it for strength stuff i mean just having a barbell and bumpers some kettlebells dumbbells should be more than you need for like a home garage type like uh strength workout and then equipment. the horse stall matting the three-quarter inch yeah, horse matting. stall matting which is heavy yeah. holy shit is it heavy i i had yes. no idea until i moved in and, and started laying it down on the on the floor oh yeah so that, yeah, but I got to figure out like how big it is because our realtor didn't um, check it out for us. But we, uh, p- depending on this, our offer, if it gets accepted, you know, we still go through the inspection process. So I'll get some more details about it. Oh, yeah. Well, that was, that's like the most terrifying piece of buying a place is, or at least selling it. I think my uncle said something like you you buy or sell a house three times. Like the initial one is with the offer. The second is with the inspection. And then the third is with like the final negotiation based off the inspection yeah. results, which is just, that's the worst. Like when I was, again, when we were getting rid of the place in Colorado, like them coming back and being like, well, they didn't like the dog door leading out to the garage. Uh, we'd like you to replace the door. No. Okay. <laughs> no, 100% not. You, you can, whoever came up with this idea, absolutely not. Oh, well, there's the the, the dog entrance and the wall of the garage because the previous owners allowed their dog to get out to the backyard. It was really cool that they set it up for their dog. We want you to cover that. But you want me to redo the outside and inside walls for a dog door? No. Nope. Not doing that either. I mean, it's like, well, then they don't want to pay this much. Well, shit. Like, I was really counting on you guys buying. Get out of here. Yeah. That's the way. But, yeah. I think, uh, so as far as, like, adding value to this place, I think we are going to put up, like, a fence because it's currently only partially fenced in. So we're going to add, like, a big a bigger fence to make it a little more secluded. The location on the house is, like, a little, it's, like, not the best location. If you look like on Google Maps, the, like the place next door to it is like a vape shop, but it's like not zoned for commercial properties. I don't know what the fuck that is about, uh, but I don't think it exists anymore. Because if you like look on Google Maps, it's not there, but on Street View, it is there. Mm. So I don't know. Well, give me like another three weeks when I get to that in my property law class, and uh, 
I'll hook you up for free. Yeah, so that's a we'll see about that. But it's like not a bad location. It's like not in Tacoma. It's like South Tacoma. So it's not like in Tacoma City proper. But um I mean just the way the property mar- the value the market is there, it's like it's either really nice houses or really shitty houses and there's like no in between. It's like refurbished and redone. So it's like new. So it's like three fifty to four hundred for those. Or you're talking about like houses built like in the nineteen twenties or nineteen thirties that haven't like been like renovated since. <laughs> so it's like not much. You don't have that much like choice of houses. Like between all the we've been like looking for I guess the last like three months we've been looking on like Redfin and like Zillow for houses and other three months there's only been like three or four houses which you would actually consider buying. So I think it's a very fast market that we're just trying to get ahead of right now. Oh yeah, it's stressful, man. Uh you know, and on top of that, the 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 things that you got to worry about too with graduating med school, the move out there, trying to find a place so you know exactly where you're moving and timing all that up, and like when in fact are you going to have this this home to put in your strength equipment, like a glute ham uh, raise developer, um, like that would be that would be all time consuming, I think, for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, at least I'm like. I'm actually pretty happy because for me, like, I found out that I was going to Washington for residency back in, like, December. Like, all my classmates don't find out for civilian match until, uh, like, March 15th or some shit like that. So they still have, like, another, like, three weeks and they find out where they're going to go. So I can't imagine trying to, like, find out where you're going in, like, March 15th and then trying to get ready to, like, move, find a place to live, move, and then be ready to go in three months. So at least I have a lot more time to like do all this stuff. Whereas my classmates are like, I, I can imagine trying to do it all. Well, it gets done. I mean, at the end of the day, these are those life experiences that you know you've got a roller coaster. Sometimes you're going up, and then the other times you're flying down and screaming and holding on by the seat of your pants. That's true. But then I'm just glad that I don't have to deal with this shit because I. Uh, although we do start early, we start June first. Uh, but apparently that's like an easy month. Then we actually start start July first in the hospital. So hopefully that first month is just like chill, where I can like get everything built, like you know, have everything moved in and stuff. Because we I graduate May May fourteenth, and then I start June first. So I'm only gonna have like one weekend here, and then we're pretty much gonna immediately gonna move out after uh, I graduate that first week. After mm. that weekend, after I graduate, that's some quick turnaround. If I'm not doing anything around that, I'll. I'm down to help out. Oh, it'll be fine. You know, the army pays for all the movers, so... I said I'll help, Bobby. You you will take my help. Yeah, we're definitely not going to ditty anything. We're going to do very little ditty. Dude, I'm never never moving myself ever again. I uh, I hate it so much. I know. When I moved uh, from Benning to here for med school, I did a complete ditty because the army was kind of fucked up with my order so i didn't have an order so i had to move myself without orders whole process getting it all paid for yeah and then you had to come back to benning i remember that you had to come and like stay with me for like a week while they figured out your paperwork yeah to out process (laughs) way to go army it was such a pain in my ass but such as the army but it was just a huge pain in the ass getting like uh getting the ditty paid for was a huge process well, speaking of armies and pains and asses, uh, 
we've got two topics that we got uh, great questions on yesterday, and you and I talked about it a bit. One is like traits of a ranger officer, and the other is dealing with command uh, support to go to selections and to schools. Uh, which one do you want to start off with? I guess we just we could start with the traits of ranger officers. I think that's a good um, kind of set. That'd be a good place to start, and then we can segue into the like dealing with tough command climate, command climates because I think the two, you know, two ideas are pretty interrelated. And then having you know the good the traits of an officer, like the, going over the traits of the officer, plays into how you know it affects your command climates. So I think we should start that way. Yeah, and I think too it's important to note that. <clears throat> So I was infantry, Bobby was field artillery, and I would go out uh, and, and on a limb here right, and start off automatically. I think uh, the field artillery officers in regiment were much more laid back, cordial, um, and uh, I wouldn't say fun to talk to, but more personable than uh, a lot of the, the infantry officers. And I, ju- I don't know if that's because of the, the nature of you know, your role controlling the, the fist section um, or... You know, if it was not as like, you know, hyper competitive behind the scenes that, you know, we didn't see. But that was one thing that when when dealing with the non-infantry officers at regiment, it was almost like a there was a, a different like glow about them. It was more positive. I would definitely, definitely say that they're they're like a more positive group. A different glow. I like that. Um I think you know, it comes down to kind of like uh, branch cultures too. You know, I think a lot of like, it's like um, kind of like in medicine or in law, like certain personality types go into certain types of like branches or specializations. So I think that drives a lot of that aspect as far as like having different cultures and different personality types going to certain um, certain branches. So definitely like FA and like personally, I'm way more relaxed and less... Uh, I don't know about less type A, but definitely less like uh, less detail oriented. I'll put it that way, which is not probably the best thing to do, especially as a doctor. <laughs> yeah, we got the scalpel. Yeah. Nah, okay. Uh, give me the butter knife. I'm guessing that's what the detail that you mean is. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, but that's my personal type. I, I think I am less like uh, detail oriented, less like plan oriented. And more so, kind of more flexible and able to kind of adapt to the circumstances. Yeah, adaptability but, is is definitely yeah. a trait that they look for in all the officers uh, in the regiment because you're going to be you're going to be out there in the real world on these missions. You're going to be hundreds of kilometers away from any any support whatsoever, and you're not going to always see what you saw in the the training environment. Um, yeah, you know, I know based on the missions we went off of, that adjusted some of the the training for my buddies uh, in different battalions, gearing up for their deployments just because things were changing in Afghanistan. And so it's just constantly being able to overcome what, you know, maybe in the traditional army we get really used to with this like stagnant enemy that never changes. And, you know, you've been going up against the same types of uh, battle drills and this coin environment now for almost two decades. I would say the other thing that separates ranger officers from traditional, I'll go infantry types now, and infantry officers in the conventional world is humility. And on the backside of that, when the ranger officers go back to the conventional army, that's usually one thing that people are like, 
this guy's pretty cocky, pretty arrogant, but I, I think confidence and arrogance are, are sometimes um, a, a very blurry border uh, between the two of them. But humility is big because like when you're at RASP, if you're not humble and if you don't come across as sincere, you might be a physical stud. You might have had like an excellent platoon culture at your first unit. But if, if you're not humble enough to understand that, you know, you're only going to be in regiment for a couple of years and in that time get to lead Rangers, you know, even less. You're just there to learn and, and soak up all that information like a sponge and then apply, you know, management strategy and uh, good effective control of like the, the outside fight uh, from what's going on um, on your objective that your platoon sergeant manages. So if, if you can't maintain some general humility in all that and understanding like your role, then you're not going to be a good fit. And RASP does an incredible job at weeding out those who are humble versus those who are, are truly arrogant. Yeah, I do remember like during RASP, one of the biggest things that they the cadre emphasized to us is being like a self-aware leader, being able to identify your own strengths and weaknesses without having, you know, without being, without like getting direct feedback from subordinates or peers or whatever. So I think that's a big a trait of all like Ranger officers is being very self-aware and being very self-analytical and being able to, you know, perform um, like feedback, give yourself feedbacks. Absolutely. And how I would also say that differs a little bit from the conventional. And we talked about that, that arrogance level and that, that cockiness. And in the regular army, you'll see a lot of guys that are infantry officers that they'll grow their hair out. Uh, I, I did when I was Lieutenant, but then I shaved it for my deployment. Um, but you know, they will be Ranger qualified or they'll get their EIB or they'll get their CIB from like, not real combat and like automatically they walk around not having access to any other units and it's like a, it's a negative trait now because you haven't pushed yourself to perform in a different unit you haven't been you know tested outside of a school that I think is mandatory for infantry officers to go through and to be successful at and so like they, there's no reason that should carry forward for your entire career, like resting on something you did as a 22-year-old. So I think one of the, yeah. the great things is you go to regiment and you try to assess back and forth and back and forth. Like you've got to constantly adapt and mold yourself to be a better person, to take on more responsibility in the elite organizations. And if you're just a regular infantry officer, I think you can just hide behind that you know two dollar tab that you put on your arm after you're successful after 62 to 300 days at a school and that doesn't validate you beyond like even your first assignment as a platoon leader so yeah that's just one of those those things that is definitely uh it's a stark contrast between what i saw um at units like 3id 4id uh to to the officers that showed up at the 75th yeah I also would say that, like, um, as far as assessing for other units, it's just, like, um, I think that's, like, a trait of all successful people. Just in general, like, successful people or, like, people who are, are good at their jobs will always try to find the next place where they're challenged. Does that make sense? Oh, like, 100%. You know, they're, not, they're never stagnant. They're never accepting, like, where they are. They're not – they're always trying to improve their position and, and move on to more – to better units or better places and more challenging assignments. Cause I think, um, like, I think that's what separates kind of like the good from the great, the good people are the ones that do well, the jobs they currently have. 
and aren't, you know, like, you know, striving to move on to the next higher task or next higher, you know, job. Whereas I think the greats are the ones that are always looking forward to the next step and setting themselves up for the next step and being able to assess for the next step because, like, I personally have a saying that the cream always rises and the shit always sings. So, like, (laughs) if you... I I think I've made it up. But, like, uh, you know, like, the good guys will always rise. It doesn't matter, like, where you, what you do or where you go. And this, I think this applies to, like, not just, like, the, the military, but to, like, you know, to law school, med school, to, like, professional life, whatever, business school, whatever, what have you. Like, the best will always rise to the top. It doesn't matter, like, what circumstance they're put in. Like, they're always going to push themselves and, and you know, put the full effort in to get better and to go to the top and be, like, the top tier doesn't matter like what they do in life like whether it is the military or like school or whatever it is like the top will always be the top doesn't matter like what they do well that's one of the things that i'm always weary when i meet individuals that never tried for any nominative positions because like in high school everyone wanted to play varsity you weren't content playing jv and so if there are opportunities out there for you where if you're competitive and want to best your peers or you just want to compete with a different level of individual and like that I think someone asked the question um, how do you deal with a culture where people aren't striving for excellence like this is just one of those examples I'm not saying that you have to be successful at SFAS I'm not saying you have to be successful at RASP I'm not saying that you have to be denied from a nominative position but you should have tried to go and do one of those things and so for the individuals out there that they put in a packet for, you know, uh, regiment or special forces, or they put in a packet to go be um, an aide or to be an instructor at RTB. Like each one of those things takes a commitment to maintaining that professionalism and maintaining a higher level of excellence than would otherwise be expected. And the same thing, if you're not like a uh, combat arms branch, like going and trying to do the next best thing that you can in that unit, whether it's like if you're an engineer, you don't have a sapper tab, go to sapper school. Oh, you can't go uh, to a different unit. Okay, we'll compete in best sapper. Oh, you got your ranger tab. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to go to ranger regiment because your commander won't sign a 4187. Okay, try to either go to selection or uh, compete at best ranger. Like there are multiple ways that you can continue to challenge yourself beyond just the traditional role that the the you know officer uh, branch management wants you to fulfill because at the end of the day like you're going to be known by this small resume when you do get out and employers will have a general idea of like okay did this guy just you know go off on this this linear progression or did he try or she try to to alter that course to to challenge themselves and is that someone we went now in this environment right exactly and it's just like um, like your prior like regardless of how you you know how successful you are or aren't in your like careers the i think the biggest thing is like continuing to push yourself and drive to become like the best version of yourself possible yeah i mean and that's that's done through competition that's another thing that all the ranger officers share is this level of competitive uh spirit um and i think sometimes it it can be a little intimidating when you get there because Everyone wants to be a platoon leader in the 75th. Everyone wants to be an XO. Everyone wants to be that number one rated dude so that after company command, you come back and, you know, they 
they bring back uh, infantry officers and they bring back captains after command that won't ever have a shot at competing for command, you know, but mm-hmm. will just serve in the 75th. So if you do even get that opportunity, it's like, well, no, I want to make sure that on my OER, when I was a platoon leader here, I had the, you know, I was the number one rated uh, PO. I was the number one rated XO. So I'm, I'm walking into now uh, a higher probability of me getting that command slot over someone who didn't have regimental experience, someone who was a, you know, average performer in an elite organization. And for a lot of times, you know, just like uh, I talked about it uh, on a podcast about grit that we had, when kids come to law school and they've only been successful and then all of a sudden you're graded on a curve and you aren't guaranteed, you know, like a top 10% grade. It's the same thing when you get to regiment, like understand that everyone that got picked was for the betterment of the organization. And for, you know, over 50% of you, your OER will suffer a bit. It's going to be great to have something that says Ranger Regiment on it and that you led Rangers. But understand now that the same metrics that apply for your uh, Raider senior profile in the conventional army are the exact same for your battalion commander and company commander here. You're not going to get top block guaranteed. And they're going to try to manage that so that you'll be successful and competitive for company command after Triple C. But you're just going to have to, again, humility goes a long way in understanding your number one focus while you're a Ranger platoon leader in XO should be taking care of the Rangers, improving them in any way that you can, whether that's through like the training that you provide or working with the squad leaders and platoon sergeant. And then you go off on your merry way and try to take what they taught you and apply it to a different organization. It does not mean that you should be authorized and guaranteed, you know, what rating you want. Mm-hmm. For sure. Like when I was in regiment, I didn't get top lock once. Actually, I've never gotten a top lock period in the army of my OER as a lieutenant. And I said, but look at me now, you know. Dumb doctor right here, right? Yeah, but uh, I think that, I don't know. I don't really, at the same time, I don't. I never really cared too much about like my ratings because I kind of knew it like implicitly and that I was doing a good job because at the end of the day, like I was, you know, I wasn't sucking up to my senior raiders and wasn't like trying to, you know, show off or show that I, I like deserved a top block, you know. I think I was more concentrated on, you know, taking care of my guys, like completing the mission and training my guys. I think that's what, like translated, uh, at least that's my my leadership style. At least was always to take care of the guys, put the guys in the mission first, and then you know worry about ratings and all the other shit after uh, after we finish what we were doing. So yeah. like I would say that that's been my like the the foundation of my leadership style is to always take care, and it's just to care about you know your the people you're, you're in charge of, just to care. And I, I think like the small things go a long way. For the Rangers, when you're going back and you know checking out uh, their cages, and you're you're talking to the brand new Rangers that are coming to the platoon, and you're getting to know them. So when you're out in some training environment, and like being sincere when you do it, and you can ask them about you know a story that you shared with them while they were in processing or while you were doing PT with that squad. Again, not stepping on the toes of his team leader or squad leader, or definitely not the platoon sergeant. But doing something as a leader that you should be is getting to know your guys and uh, asking about their families and and, under, and knowing their families' names. I mean, like if if your squad leaders or platoon sergeants uh, have kids, like you better be able to name the kids. If they're married, you should know their wives' names. Like just again, being personable is another huge trait that the 
the Ranger community shares because it's it's not as broy of a culture as SF is, but it's going to be a much tighter organization because whether you're in Seattle, Benning, or Savannah, you're going to run into this very small collection of individuals out and about because the communities aren't that large. Generally, most of the Rangers go to the same bars, um, you know, as other Rangers. And, and if you didn't know what those bars are, then you knew like in Savannah, it was the rail, uh, the top deck, um, down by the water. Um, you know, you're, you're going to find them. And so you're going to run into them and have to like, not just be this weird robot where you're like, I can't talk to you. Uh, I am your senior raider. Like, uh, beep, bleep, bloop, blop, bloop. Like, can, does not compute, must leave, need to go get higher, high and tight. Like, it's not going to be effective at all. Didn't we talk about this before? Like, going out there, guys? Yeah, we, we did, where you, you talked about, uh, you know, grabbing a drink with them and, and like, what's that, what's that line bef- between being professional and, uh, like, fraternizing? Yeah. In retrospect, probably a little. I probably was more fraternizing than professional. In retrospect, but that's kind of you know you, you learn from that. At least for me. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. Another thing, like again, don't go and get absolutely plastered with your guys. But if you're out and about and you see them, like that's a great way for you to check out. Is this guy drinking too much? I Right now, I'm a leader. I can make sure that he's going to get back to the barracks, get back to his house safely, because the last thing you want is to find out that someone that you saw out that night ended up getting a DUI an hour after you ran into him, and you didn't yeah. have the wherewithal to say, was he over the limit at the time? Did I know that he had driven? That Those are things that you got to constantly be thinking about when you do see people out. Absolutely. That's like your responsibility as a leader, too, and just... You know, taking care of your guys, and I would I would guess say the the last thing then for traits of ranger officers is just physical fitness and physical presence. Um, mm-hmm. You're you're not going to find like a fat ranger officer. You're not going to find a ranger officer that, yeah. that well. Mm, okay, you're you're not going to find like a, a dude that's just blowing off, going to the gym and wasting time working out in general all of the like we said on the stories generally ranger officers are running like 32 to 33 minute five miles for infantry but you'll get some of those like jackrabbits out there that are running 25 to 27 minutes which is just like blazing fast um they're all hitting you know a majority of them are hitting like four or five plus on a on a hex bar deadlift uh squatting's not too too big but most guys are are easily able to do over 315 um, and then mm-hmm. body weight push-ups, uh, you know, people are, are knocking out 80 to, to 100 on a PT test, and it's not really breaking a sweat. Yeah. But that's like the, the base, I would say like the base requisite trait to have as a ranger officer is to be physically fit and like looking like you belong in the organization. Yeah, being very good looking. Uh, I would say we're, we're better looking than uh, individuals in group. Uh, in general, you, you sometimes can't tell if a green beret is green or somebody's going to a change of command ceremony from far away. Uh, especially then when it comes to, you know, like that body, uh, disposition too, you can't tell because, you know, some guys don't, uh, maintain their fitness once they get to group. But unlike that, when you get to range regiment, you wear a tambourine one, you might look a little more tan because it's one of those colors that brings out the melanin. So you, you know, you might look a little bit more sun kissed. 
Um, it goes, I think, better with the multicam uniform with the, the browns and the, the, the lighter greens. So, again, I just think the 75th better looking individuals. Yeah. I think the 75th has like a, um, like a body type as well if, through the ranks. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Like the, you can like look at, like I would do it all the time if I went, like at, when I was at, uh, up at Lewis, like working on the gym. So like you can just tell like who is a ranger, who isn't a ranger just by how they look. It's kind of wild. You think about it. Yeah. And, and too, like you'll, again, you'll have some like incredibly fit, uh, guys in group and in the conventional army, but the entire regiment constantly has to maintain this cardio level and I don't think that's emphasized like at Carson it definitely was and I would I would see guys in group they would go take their PT test on the two mile downhill coming from gate six to second brigade's headquarters it's literally like an elevation change of 250 feet over the two miles what yeah and you would see them take their PT test there and I've heard their two mile times and they're not impressive like Good for you that you can bench press. Oh, bench press. Good for you that you can bench press. Good for you that you can bench press over three fifteen and whatever you're doing in the Thor complex. Like again, there are some like mm-hmm. incredibly fit guys in group, but I've seen more chubby green berets, also without ranger tabs, than I've seen chubby rangers. It's just like I think it's a culture thing. Like again, guys, they pass selection, they pass the Q course. You've got your tab. Why do you need to compete? It's like infantry officers that get their tab and then get fat when they go take command and their platoon leaders are completely embarrassed by them because they crush them on company runs. They crush them on company mm-hmm. rugs. It's like, it's again, it's maintaining that level of excellence. And I think it's one of the things if you're not constantly being assessed to have to go back to RASP 2 when you want to be a platoon sergeant, when you want to be a first sergeant, you can just get very lazy in your surroundings and be happy with where you're at. So I, I think cardio is definitely one thing the Ranger Regiment is is like the premier unit uh, for. I, I would probably agree with that statement. I think that, uh, you know, cardio def- definitely forms the basis of everything that we do in the military. So I think cardio is definitely important. But I will say that, you know, guys, after they get their tab and like at the E5, E6 level, get fucking j- 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 jacked. Oh, I mean, like there, there, there's companies called Anabolic A for a reason. I mean, like they, yeah. you get your tab, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I can take some of that pressure off myself. I can, I can now focus now on this transition of where do I need to maintain this level of cardio so that when I'm a, a team leader, when I'm a squad leader, I can crush my guys and get them to the level they need to be successful at for Ranger School. To I now don't want to be like the lightweight ranger who only had to focus on being cardio shape i now want to be like you know i want to be beach ready for tybee mm-hmm. yeah definitely uh dudes get like jacked after you know once they get their tabs and aren't really doing as much cardio anymore it's kind of like the character trope i'll say i'll say like from like as a private you're probably like not very jacked because you're just running and doing getting for school once you get your tab, they're like E4 to like E5 junior team leader style. You're starting to starting to lift more weights. And then like E5 to E6, once you're like a squad leader, you're just getting jacked. Yeah, I think one of the great things though, and I was always impressed by it, and it's why it really bugged me when I was at 4ID, is essentially the, the gym and the CRTF, unless you had scheduled it out with your company, was off limits. 
Um, and so there were, there were a lot of people in the gym, but it wasn't uh, at that, that level for the platoons because mm-hmm. your team leader and squad leader were preparing guys for cardio stuff. It was getting ready uh, for ranger school. It was getting ready for deployment. So you're rucking, you're doing kit runs, you're, you're doing like a lot of anaerobic conditioning uh, in full uh, kit for an hour and a half doing you know drills and breaches and stuff. And then once you had time in the afternoon, then a lot of times you'd see these team leaders that had gotten their tab and be like, hey, I'm going to take my rangers now and we're going to go back to the gym uh, when we get off and we're going to lift weights and throw this weight around so that my guys are prepared for once they graduate school, they have the technique and the foundation down for getting and putting on size. It's like a, it's almost like a responsibility that what, just because you got your tab doesn't mean you have to like take a backseat to your, your Rangers getting theirs. And so it's like always engaging with them. It's again, being a good leader, not being selfish, like being selfless is, is incredibly important. Oh yeah, absolutely. But speaking of good leaders, the, the next one I think we can segue to here is like bad command support and commands that won't allow you to go to selections, uh, RASP, Ranger School. Um, I'll start off with this because like it, it angered me so much because there were so many soldiers that I had on my first deployment to Afghanistan where we worked for nine months on getting them ready to go to Ranger School. We would have like classes on... Uh, movement. We would do rucks at Pasab. We would run. Uh, we would test them, and then we get back, and you know, a lot of them would be able to reenlist, and we'd be like fighting with, you know, the battalion to like say, "Hey, send them to Ranger School." And they'd be like, "No, we we've got air assault here at Fort Hood. That they don't they don't want fucking air assault. They want to go to Ranger School." Like, like Aco busted his ass on deployment. Unlike all the other companies in this battalion. ACO is the only one that actually went out on patrols and wasn't at Kandahar. So if anyone has, you know, TDY funds that should be allocated, it's for these guys that were going out on patrols every single day of the week. And so, like, that really pissed me off. And then guys are like, okay, I don't get slots to Ranger School. That's one thing. I'm like, okay, guys, the next thing we're going to train up for is we're going to get you to SFAS because at least that's an organization that cares about you, that will send you to schools uh, if you're competitive for them. But in general, there's a, there's a higher level of responsibility that you provided. And on the return, they're rewarding you with really cool opportunities for training. And I, I'm not kidding. The, the Green Berets at Hood came and talked to the platoon and to the company. Like We invited them. We, were like, we have a lot of guys that are interested. The battalion commander came out and told them to leave. And said, That's... don't come back to my battalion area. This is the same battalion commander that after I got my 4187 signed by my first battalion commander, uh, on my counseling with him, he said, I don't know why you want to go to the Ranger Regiment. I don't know why you just don't do that here with these soldiers who can do the exact same thing. And when he spent time in division staff, up at Lewis, he quote unquote, and this is a tabless armor officer that had only had, I think, air assault. He saw the Rangers at Lewis and he was quote unquote, not impressed. It's like, well, one, I don't know what you did at division where you even got to see what their training plans look like because they're not the approving authority for the Rangers. Like there's a Mm -hmm. different chain of command. 
with USASOC, there's a, there's a different uh, authority level. So, like, I do not know where you get off saying that the Rangers you saw were not impressive because you are so far from a Ranger that you, ha- you would have no idea um, in, your, in your, like, you know, prestigious career, sir. And so, like, he just, he, he shut everyone down. And then the next thing you know, there was just this mass S- exodus of soldiers. Nobody signed, you know, signed up for, for reenlistment. Guys that were really great as team leaders were getting out. Um, I think I had three team leaders leave the Army. I had another seven soldiers leave that I thought were, like, really great soldiers that could have been great team leaders and squad leaders and really successful at ranger school and SFAS leave because the command just did not support them all because this battalion commander decided to come down and he was so insecure by those individuals even coming in his AO that he had to like extend that insecurity and prevent people from being successful Mary it was like it it left such a disgusting taste in my mouth like I never want to see this individual again yeah, but do you think that's like a outlier, or do you think that's more of a normal? I would say that's that's kind of a normal too, because um, at at uh, Carson, you would see uh, the battalion commanders out there, and uh, or the command teams that had individuals that had spent time at regiment were all about sending guys back to the seventy fifth, or sending guys to the seventy fifth and giving them an opportunity that they had. But you had battalion commanders that had spent no time in the Ranger Regiment that had done like multiple NTC rotations that thought that, you know, like spending time at the old guard uh, was equally as prestigious as, as serving in the 75th straight up rejecting guys, 4187s, like not even giving these infantry officers and other branch officers an opportunity to go. And so it's like at that point, thank God SF has like, programs where you don't need your commander to sign off on you oh yeah like yeah. you submit a memo and if like if you want to go to sfas some weak leader is not going to prevent you from going you might have some issues yeah. like trying to train up for it with time and everything but it, at least you're not going to be roadblocked yeah i think that's a big thing that sf did differently compared to the other like organizations we can select for is that you know with, with sf you can apply for go to sfas without having commander's approval 4187 whereas for like ranger school or ranger regiment you need that commander's approval yeah it it, sucks that's the one thing too like because i guarantee if i didn't if i hadn't had my battalion commander uh the first one sign off on my 4187 like i would not have been approved to go Um, yeah i almost lost my um my slot to go to ras because uh my first battalion commander signed off on it, and then I got 4187 to a different uh, battalion, a different brigade on post because my brigade had shut down. So I went to a different brigade, and it was on, like, the battalion staff for this one FA battalion. And I was just literally just waiting to go to RASP, and then almost took my RASP block because I just did not give a fuck, which is another, you know, not exactly what you should do. But I was that was uh, kind of a wake-up call that I shouldn't be a shitbag. Yeah, I guess that, that like self awareness and yeah, like knowing yeah. what how you can improve yourself. I think the other thing that's really frustrating is sending guys to schools, um, like units. Again, if unless you have a as a as a company commander, um, if if you don't want to send guys, like that's bad on you. Like I know as a platoon leader, I was fighting for guys to to get slots to Ranger, and 
I don't know. It comes down to like who is the the validating authority for that. I, I would think that the closer you are to that soldier in his training timeline should make you the authority. But I get that it's the battalion's TDY funds, and they don't want to send guys that are going to be uh, failures. But like that's the whole point. Like you learn from failing. If you sent a guy to Ranger School, well, congratulations. That's like sending one more guy to Ranger School than you did last month. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that just because you're in a mech unit, you should deny people the opportunity. If you're in a striker unit, you should deny people the opportunity. If people want to go to Ranger School, like that should be commended. Like send them as soon as possible. Test them and then send them. Oh yeah, but that's like um, like the command climates that commanders have. Because I could definitely see. You know, commanders that come from depending on the on the backgrounds, it's kind of like like you said, like your your BC who was who was an untabbed armor officer with no experience with soft. Like, obviously, he's going to think come from, come from the perspective that you know you don't need to go to ranger school or selection or anything of these like cool things. You can just be, you know, a tanker. <laughs> yeah, you can be you can be fat and happy as a tanker, wearing your stetson around all damn day. I. I, you know, good power on you. Thank you for serving like TYFYS. Like go take advantage of the veteran day deals at Chili's and Arby's and TGIFs. But like, don't shit on other people junior in their career just because you either a are butthurt that you didn't do it. Or you think just because you were successful that other people don't have to, to do any of those things to be in the same position as you one day. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. But that's just a commentary on leadership in general, I'd say, at that point. But I don't know. I've always come from the perspective that it doesn't matter, like, as a as a leader, it shouldn't be what you want done for your guys. It should be what your guys done. For, like, what you should be supporting what your guys want, not oh. trying to force. Yeah, and, and the other thing that, like, I didn't realize when I was getting ready uh, for company command, and I would go to these training events uh, when I was up at brigade, I would, you know, sit in on them at battalion or sit in them on a brigade at the school's talks. It wasn't so much that people were like, we don't want to send them. It's because they were so afraid of not having like readiness numbers for brigade and division to show that like, oh yeah, in this this company we had, you know, because Carson like prided itself when I was there on having the highest readiness numbers. And I was like, what what does that mean? Like, oh, we, we can be mobilized and deployed at any time and we have, you know, 93% of our soldiers are deployable. Well, that's great, but if you send guys to schools, all of a sudden they're, they don't have as high... Uh, of deployable numbers and so that was like that was creating these obstacles for guys to even go to school so it'd be like okay you got a company of 120 soldiers well if you wanted to send like you know like three dudes a month to ranger school which was never happening anyway but if you want to send three guys a month that meant at any time after a couple months you would have at least like eight to ten percent of your formation gone and if you wanted to send guys to other schools, um, like RSLIC, uh, the advanced marksmanship uh, classes that they teach at, at uh, Benning, um, one of the other, the, the ARC course at Benning, uh, Air Assault School, like all of a sudden now, you're now at the 12% of your company not being there. You're going to have to deal with like a couple guys being injured um, and, and flagged and, and, you know, generally not being able to, to train. And so... Of the 120 guys, you might have 100 that are deployable that you can use in training. And a lot of times it came down to like battalion command teams and company command teams not thinking that they could perform 
with less than a 100% strength, which is just, it blows my mind. Like that's where you overcome. You don't, so you don't, your one platoon is down to 25 guys instead of 40. Okay. Like figure that out. Like move some guys from another platoon to make, if you want three equal fighting forces, but don't use that as an excuse to not send someone that's trained and that volunteered to do cool things from going and doing those cool things. Like that is, I think for me that that's like an example of cowardice. You are, oh yeah, you are so bad at your job. If you had less than a 100% strength that you couldn't figure it out, like what happens when you actually go into combat and you go to a breach and you lose 30% of your guys, which is like what doctrine tells you you're going to lose. Are you going to be like, ah, sorry, I can't continue this mission. Uh, sorry, D-Day. Uh, I'm stuck here on Omaha. I can't go any further. I lost 30%. Uh, you're going to have to bring some new guys. Like that's not the real world. So let guys go to school. When they come back, they're going to be even more motivated and you're going to have another great soldier in your formation. But your insecurities about your own leadership should not prevent others from being successful at what they volunteered to do. Oh, yeah, for sure. But that's kind of like, so then how would you deal with like having, you know, a command climate that prevents you from going to render school or selection? Or like what advice would you give someone that's it, having these troubles? If your unit is preventing you from going to ranger school and, you know, you start at the bottom. So if your squad leader is like, no, we're not training you up. And, and again, this is like, this is not a, a disloyalty test here. Talk to your platoon sergeant. Like that is still within your organization. Drop hints and smoke the shit out of your first sergeant. If he or she comes by your formation and let it be known that you are training for ranger school, drop it to the battalion sergeant major. If he comes out to training and sees you and he's going to ask, how are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, I'm training to go to ranger school. Like people should know. But at the end of the day, if they're not sending you to a school, Go to a unit that will, and it's like it's even harder than to get a slot to rasp. But if they're not sending you to Ranger School, they're definitely not going to lose you for readiness numbers to go to Ranger Regiment and compete and assess there. So my my recommendation to literally every soldier I've ever had that's been denied a school, say, screw you guys, I'm going home. Go sign an SFAS packet, like go to selection, crush it, become a Green Beret, do great things for that organization, and then go to the schools that you want uh, when you're in the queue and after the queue, like that, that is the number one way to like, just give the double birds to a poor command. And then two later, when you are successful after SFAS and you see these company command teams, these battalion command teams walking around and you know, they are just like average as hell and they've never pushed themselves. Like you're going to have a very high level of pride looking down at them, knowing that like you were successful despite their attempts to stop you that's actually really good advice i like that <clears throat> at one point you gotta accept responsibility for your own future and take charge of your own future i like that yeah no no one should tell you like especially when you sign up it's not like we're being drafted into the military and you just have to like put up with your rotten lot in life like you volunteer to join the army if you want to do cool guy stuff Go and do that cool guy stuff as many times as you physically can. And if people are standing in your way, like, again, truly, who cares what this company commander thinks that's going to be there for 12 to 18 months? Because in 12 to 18 months, while he or she is, like, going to love the company that they led, they're going to go on and be thinking about that next command. They're going to be going on and thinking about that next assignment they're going to have as a junior major. And, like, at the end of the day, they're going to be like, oh, you know, whatever, I don't care if Specialist Johnson didn't get to go to school. 
but you do because you're still there and you've got to put up with the next asshole that comes in and has the exact same mentality. But again, you're going to get guys. And one of the things I love uh, about the Ranger officers is whenever I saw them take command and whenever I saw uh, those individuals that tried to assess to the organizations or failed at RAS but still had that drive and are continuing to reapply, they send their guys to schools all the time. Like there was such an obvious difference between my buddies that wanted to be better than what they currently were doing and their company's training and their company's schools compared to guys that, again, never put in any effort beyond just going to ranger school and were just like, eh, I'm just going to be a kiss ass and hope I get a top block on my second command as an HHC commander. And then I'm going to go hate my life as an S3 somewhere in some infantry brigade or you know maybe i'll volunteer to go to an hbct so that i get some like broadening experience dealing with refueling bradley's like that's just awful so if you're in a command excuse me if you're in a company and you know your company commander or first sergeant like never spent time um in the regiment or never assessed for any of those schools i would be willing to bet that there's a a higher chance that you don't go to schools versus if you're in a formation where your your company commander is coming from an organization uh, like regiment. Yeah, I don't think that's like a leadership like like facet of leadership too that some guys just do or don't have or don't appreciate and don't appreciate. Like you're saying, like it depends on how you're you're brought up as like a junior leader. It's going to affect how you manage as a senior leader. No, you're going to be influenced by both good and bad leaders. And that's something that like, you never want a, a bad leadership uh, experience, but you're going to have them. And the thing you do is you just, you don't do what they did and just avoid making the same mistakes they did with, with their Rangers, with their soldiers and just, you know, be better, just improve the organization, whatever organization you're in, whatever level you're in, just make yourself as good as possible and, and make those around you, uh, you know, equally as good. I would agree with that. Always strive to be the best version of yourself possible. Strive for maximum excellence. Don't be the cr- don't be the poop that floats to the bottom. Be the cream that rises to the top. Hell yeah, yeah. You heard it here first. The cream rises to the top. The cream always rises to the top, and the shit always sinks to the bottom. Speaking of cream rising to the top, uh, someone asked us about merchandise. Uh, I just made a, a hat design. Uh, it's real simple. It's a five panel. It's going to get to my apartment probably in the next week or two. So um, when it gets here, I'll I'll take a, a look at it and see how it is. But um, I, hopefully that comes out uh, as cool as it did on the the website and the developer. Yeah, I'm looking for, yeah, we should definitely try and get some more swag going and more apparel. But I feel like half the time that we do apparel, people are like giving us great feedback for it. No one ever buys it. So it's just like, sometimes I just wonder what's the point sometimes. Well, we get enough people purchasing it to, to send guys to, you know, help send guys with scholarships to school and, you know, donate, Mm -hmm. donate to great organizations. So uh, a $5 profit on a, on one shirt that sells in a year is still better than nothing. So we do appreciate those that do buy the swag. We're going to let us know though, like what, what about the swag you want to see different? Um, again, knowing that Bobby's at med school, I'm at law school and we don't have art degrees. Yeah. But I will say that if you buy the programs or donate, those are better ways to contribute to Cronus fit. Yes. 
Um, any final thoughts before we close out? Yeah, to quote Melania Trump, be best. Be the best. No, not be uh, the best, be best. She, she didn't finish that phrase. Uh, I will mention that um, we have been donating some more money to other causes lately. Um, I So a couple of my classmates from med school uh, have been spending the last month in the Dominican Republic uh, helping out with soup kitchens and helping out the hospital, et cetera, and helping out these kids. So through Cronus, we donated uh, $250 to this foundation that helps with this community in Dominican Republic. Uh, we have some pictures from the girls that went that I'm friends with. Uh, but basically, you know, with our, with our money, we're able to feed um, like 50 kids for a week through a soup kitchen and help uh, fund some of their schooling uh, for these kids in the Dominican Republic. And then we also helped, we donated uh, $1,000 to the family of Antonio Rodriguez, El Rod, uh, who was killed uh, earlier this month. It was one of the seventh group guys that was killed earlier this month during that green and blue attacks. We donated some money to his family as well. So for those of you guys that are listening, like, you know, all the money or all the revenue that we get from selling the program, selling apparel, selling whatever, you know, all that, all that money goes to, you know, positive charitable causes and that we don't, we don't really take it for, you know, enriching our pockets at all. No. Yeah. It's one of the things when, when Bobby and I drafted our, uh, like the charter for, um, when we were starting the nonprofit, uh, it, you know, we put down in there that at no time is Chronosfit going to have a salary for any of its, uh, managers or, or owners. Um, and so all the money that we've made goes to uh, running the site and um, the expenses, but then everything else is just put aside for causes. So if you have causes that you know we're not aware of or that you feel really strongly for, our goal is to every month do a donation to um, you know something like Bobby just mentioned with the, the soup kitchen down the Dominican, uh, donating to them every month. And then our, our big contribution we want to be to uh, soldiers, rangers, operators that are getting out of the military that are looking to do uh, higher education or looking to further their own education and doing that through a, sco- uh, a scholarship program, which uh, this next year we want to both uh, increase the amount of scholarships we get out uh, as well as the the scholarship amount um, to each of the individuals. So hit us up. Like we love that you know uh, we have so many great followers uh, and athletes that are getting after it and, and bettering themselves. And now that we're out and Bobby will be back in very shortly, we want to make sure that we maximize you know giving back to the community. So hit us up with some great other uh, charities that you want to see there. Uh, publicize or you know throw these proceeds at and we are absolutely happy to do so so again thank you guys for making Cronus Fit what it is today because uh, outside of fitness not being a secret we think that if you have the uh, opportunity to give back like it, it's inherent um, and it's incumbent on you uh, to do so absolutely and then uh, I wonder if we should throw it out there but if you know if you guys want to help out in terms of you know I, actually you know what I want to mention it you know, we're always, we're we're looking for additional team members to bring on, but um, I think Sean and I still want to talk some more about how we can expand uh, the team before we you know release it to the greater public. So yeah, because there, there, there's branches that we don't have like subject matter expertise on. Um, 
you know, it, it rhymes with uh, Schmerforce and Schmavy. Um, if you guys keep asking us about Buds, I'm only going to point you to the Charlie Sheen movie. Like, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm I sorry. It, so yeah. if you've got guys out there that know stuff or, you know, want to be members, like, well, Bobby and I are going to talk about it. But, you know, Chronosfit can definitely expand, uh, again, all in the the name of giving back. So if, if the person's looking to come and, you know, make a buck, that's not going to be here. Um, we just want to make sure that we're, we're bettering the community that we came from. Exactly. So, you know, let us know if you're interested in maybe coming on and we can talk some more. But yeah, Bobby, I'm going to, I'm going to get back to reading about, uh, the rule of perpetuity. So. All right. I'm going to go to the gym. Hashtag swole live. Of course. All right. Until next time, guys, we'll catch you guys later. Bye. Later.